afternoon and good evening wherever and whenever you may be and welcome to episode five of the Fade to Black podcast. I'm Clarice Lockery. I'm Amon Woman. And I'm Hannah Flynn. And this week we've got a bumper show for you to sink your ears into. There's some serious chaotic energy going down in the Tom Holland and Daisy Ridley-led young adult adaptation of Chaos Walking. Stephen Yun is trying to build a farm in Arkansas in the ward season darling Minari. In the latest, let's make white people look like the good guys when it comes to Guantanamo Bay, Tahara Heem plays the titular role in Kevin McDonald's The Mauritanian. And finally, it's the ultimate titan matchup between Ape and Lizard. But we ask, can't they all just get along? Godzilla vs. Cog is out, <laughs> and we have feelings. Plus, in this week's hot take, we ask, what the fudge is happening at DC Films after the announcement that New Gods and The Trench have been shelved indefinitely? A lot to talk about, but first let's check in with the Wrecking Crew. Hannah, how's it going this week? Um, I've adopted a hermatic state. I've wear, worn the same hoodie for five days and the Just Eat delivery driver called me out yesterday and said, oh, did you get dressed today? Oh my God. Leave me my dim sum in peace, please. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, wow. I'm, I'm great. I'm fine. I'm fine. <laughs> wow. That's a very bus driver. My goodness. No, not a bus driver. Can't my Just it. Eat delivery driver. I was at home and he was like, what? oh, did you get dressed today? I was like, excuse wow. me, sir. <laughs> See, are you guys on a first name basis? No, we are not. <laughs> this is, are this is why wow. I always tip very heavily. But when they actually get to the door, I just open it a crack like it's the apocalypse. And I'm checking to see if they're not a zombie. And then I just reach out my hand and say, thank you very much. Have a good evening. And then close the door really quickly because I don't want them to see like, what's going on <laughs> i stopped caring i'm like this is me this is me now you know that remember that, that remember that was like that filter on on um was it on snapchat or something where everyone's just like so coated and there was that meme that went around with this guy going this is me now and he's got like butterflies <laughs> flying i'm like the opposite of that i'm like the reverse but that filter that is me <laughs> These are good practices to adopt, though, Clarice. If there is a zombie apocalypse, I'm coming to yours. So better make sure oh, you stock up. I would be, I would say, <laughs> I would be moderate to good in a zombie apocalypse. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have a go bag? No, I'm just massively like distrustful of everything. So I, on the slightest like hint of the one little tiny zombie, I'm already on a boat and I'm in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean and I'm just you know, oh. eating fish. Yeah, I think about this on a weekly basis. I just imagine the scenario oh, wow. where I'm in. No, I can't help. Like I look around my flat, I'm like, would I be secure in here? Could I be locked in and zombies couldn't get through? And then I'm also really thankful that I learned how to drive because I kind of feel like that's the only reason I did learn how to drive in case of an emergency where I could be like, see you later, guys. <laughs> get in, losers. <laughs> let's, go, let's go zombie shopping. No, this is the thing. I live on the coast, so my plan is run to the nearest boat. Yeah. Just get sailing out of there. There'll be some island that has no zombies, and I'll be sorted. Yeah good yeah i i have not spent nearly as much time as you guys have thinking through this but clearly i should because <laughs> right now i have no plans whatsoever there's a, there's a zombie apocalypse i am i'm in the shit right now i mean considering <laughs> the past year i feel like it's good to have that plan ready i'll just say that yeah. i'm on i do have a question for you 
do you think you could survive the world of chaos walking? <laughs> Look at that Ooh. transition. Look at that transition I just did. It's a good segue. Uh, I'm going to say yes. I can control my noise. Me and Clarice would not. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let's see. Let's see how Tom Holland deals with it. It's so loud here. We call it the noise. Happened to all the men on this planet. Every thought in our heads on display. Where are all the women? Um, <laughs> welcome to Chaos Walking. Welcome to Chaos Fade to Black Walking. Um, you've met us before, and the chaotic energy continues. Uh, so that was Chaos Walking, uh, the trailer, the film that was adapted from Patrick Ness's uh, 2008 novel, The Knife of Never Letting Go. It's part of the Chaos Walking Young Adult trilogy, dystopian jazz and all that jazz and uh written by patrick ness and christopher ford directed by doug lyman and it stars tom holland a young man who lives in this world this this on this planet called new world where there are no women and all the living creatures can hear each other's thoughts in a stream of images words and sounds called noise um when a woman daisy ridley crash lands onto the planet he must help her escape danger because men will always be in every world a danger <laughs> um amon what's your thoughts how's your chaos energy for this one high or low can you not hear and sense my thoughts anna i mean it's right I'm there not, i no. don't exist in this world amon <laughs> this is true <laughs> we're dead we're dead in this universe <laughs> <laughs> Um, I was a bit mixed on this one. I think this is a really amazing concept that's just not fully capitalized on. Um, it did made me it didn't make me want to read the books immediately um, because of the you know the, the concept. And I do think a lot of what doesn't work on screen would work on the page. And when I refer to what doesn't work on screen, the way in which the thoughts of all the men are visualized. I just think it's confusing. It's not really effective. It's very simplistic in how they use and how they use it and what thoughts you actually hear. Um, and I just think that there's more that they could have done with that concept in particular. Um, as for the acting, I think Tom Holland is capable enough. Uh, Hannah, you mentioned Mads Mikkelsen's fur coat. I'm sure Clarice will have a lot to say about that in her fashion corner. But all I will say is yes, please put it in my wardrobe immediately i don't care if it's 50 degrees out i will wear that coat outside because it is that awesome um i did find daisy ridley you know i i like her a lot in the star wars films i did find her to be a little bit bland in this and i did find that again this concept being so unique and cool a lot of what is on screen just feels generic and tropey and stuff which i've seen in many a young adult film before if they had really sort of done a great job with this film i could see and i would want to see more films in this world as it is i'm fine with just just this one film i didn't sort of full-on hate it but 
I, I was disappointed by it. I mean, the coat is is great. A great little nod to uh, McCabe and Mrs. Miller. Big old <laughs> furry coat. I also want to shout out. He's a pimp. He's a legit pimp. <laughs> <laughs> He's pimping on that world. I want to shout out. I enjoyed Daisy Ridley's costume as well because the <laughs> orange suspenders felt like a nice nod to Lilu from the Fifth Element. Lilu, Lilu, and she's got a similar vibe. I actually really liked um, her performance in this because the thing that Daisy Ridley does so well is like a sense of curiosity and, and wonderment in a in a a sort of innocent but not naive way just someone who's sort of genuinely (laughs) absorbing everything around her Mm -hmm. and so I like that sort of thematic connection uh and I thought Tom Holland was good as well like he's good at doing like the sort of nervous (laughs) like his little (laughs) noise keeps going girl pretty (laughs) (laughs) he managed to do that without coming off as creepy which I think is like a hard thing to do and to do it well but my issue with it is very much that like Doug Liber's taken this very very complex idea and I think tried to execute it in the simplest like A to B sci-fi adventure Mm -hmm. way so Mm -hmm. this film is just like there's a lot of running (laughs) they jump Mm -hmm. a bit and then they go in some rapids and they're in the rapids for a bit (laughs) there's a dog that runs around (laughs) the dog is very cute and and that's the thing you have you have the the action stuff is is dominant and the action stuff is good but there's so little engagement with the actual like concept and mm. and I think that concept if you're going to do it it brings up so many questions that you kind of have to answer like mm-hmm. I mean the what about non-binary people what do they like how does that is a very sort of like gender binary concept and they don't ever really examine how that would actually function in the real world uh it's also like a very sexless film and i i feel like i don't know i feel like if you're going to be talking about you know gender and power dynamics like there needs to be some exploration of that as well like I kind of want to know what the dynamics of a, an all like male town is yeah <laughs> like what were they what were they up to <laughs> and like I but like I found it frustrating that um Tom Holland's character like he seems to have two adoptive fathers but the film never actually like tells us what their relationship is yeah. And it just feels like these are all like things that really should be tackled if you're going to be doing this story. Um, and so that it just felt very frustrating. And and the action, like Doug Lyman's a really good action director, so that all looked fine. But yeah, it is a bit of a frustrating movie. Yeah, I feel like, you know, it's funny when we're talking about Marvel there's like oh there's so much exposition and I really felt this movie could have used a bit more exposition (laughs) because I think it just throws you into this world it doesn't really explain that much it doesn't really like you said Clarice it's like okay what's the dynamics here who are the parent who's who's his adopted dad are they gay is that what we're supposed to imply from it that they're like now that actually there is same-sex relation do you know what I mean all these things that feel like they've actually stripped away to try and make this appeal to like a very specific young target demographic but I think that all we need is like Daisy Ridley and like Tom Holland running around to get people interested um it's interesting in the book the character um he plays Todd is actually supposed to be like 13, like a really young boy. And it's interesting how that, 
how and I suppose they've re- rejigged things around to make it fit and how different that would have been if it was a you know a younger kid and a younger girl then it would take that kind of like sexual frustration I suppose out of it but like you said it wasn't really explored that much I just didn't really it just left a lot of like threads loose threads like there's this idea that okay so the noise is the spackle there's this thing called the spackle which are the alien mm-hmm. race and we see it once and then that's it and then it's like, oh, that, that there's a whole there's a whole pl- like narrative there that never gets explored again. We just get like teased of it, and you're like, well, why, why, why are we even shown these things? Why, why are they the enemy? Why isn't it just felt really underserved? Um, I think they are hoping for sequels, which are probably no longer coming. But that's the um, issue, and I hate that. It's like stop writing your films for a sequel, make them complete enough. Like it's not that young adult fic, like film ad- adaptations don't work. Like the Hunger Games, the Hunger Games was great because actually that film is a perfect solo film. It didn't even need a second one, and I think even the books, when you read them, they're so self-contained, but they kind of feed into a like a longer narrative if you wanted like a a series. But it felt like. It it just felt untidily wrapped up, not enough like depth of characters. Um, I wanted to know more about David Prentice. I wanted to know more about this other town that exists. Like also like David Oyelowo, like just in there for this really weird, like this reason just felt like, God, this character is like nothing. <laughs> like it could have been a really interesting character. And then they make him do the worst thing you could possibly do. And I don't think David Oyelowo will ever come back from it. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, we might do because I don't think that many people are going to watch this movie. So I think we're all going to collectively forget about its existence. But yeah, there was a lot of promise in this film, and it definitely didn't deliver. I think they tried to streamline it too much and lost actually a decent story um, that could have been a really interesting. Could have brought back the YA genre because obviously, I think the last one was like the fifth wave. It was just gradually declining, and I suppose it tried to come back in a big way, and it's kind of failed. So I can imagine not a lot of YA fiction will get adapted again soon. If this was like a 15 certificate, it could got into a really dark place of like mm-hmm. shit. This like Viola, Viola, Daisy Ridley's yeah. characters has just entered a region where these like men of like and like pubescent guys and like guys who haven't seen a woman in so long and like it could have been to a really dark place that could have explored like oh the real like really like rip apart masculinity and kind of this whole I just think it could have been really an interesting dark deep dive like it could have been like Brave New World it could have been like you know the things we've seen in the past but no it just kind of fell short because they didn't want to they didn't want to scare off like the the ratings and didn't want to want to capture oh let's get it to young people and it's like no this is an old story that older men need to see (laughs) are you saying that instead people should watch the tv adaptation of brave new world that i am the only person who enjoyed it (laughs) (laughs) i've watched the first episode of i know you because you love um alden ehrenreich did i say his name roughly yes Okay, it, I'm really proud of myself from knowing. I got really into it by I started watching it because because of, of him, but I got really into it by the end. I'm going to be honest. <laughs> so yeah, we should probably do. Um, let's rate it. Uh, uh, I suppose in this version, we've just got stream or skip. Skip for me, unfortunately. Clarice, stream or skip? Yeah, I'm going to say skip. Sorry, Spider Man. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> it's not good for Tom Holland right now. That's like. That I yeah. might have also skip. So yeah, that's two skips for a Tom Holland 
Come on, he's got to get it back, Tony. <laughs> <laughs> Look, there's no segue for this. We'll do the Mauritania next. Okay. <laughs> Deal with it. I'm Nancy Hollander. This is my associate. We wish to represent you. We are seeking the death penalty. But if we miss something, this guy goes home. Let's get to it. Call this number. Speak to my mother. Tell her, I don't know, something nice. The U.S. government is holding upwards of 700 prisoners in Guantanamo. Since when did we start locking people up without a trial in this country? So that was the Mauritanian. <laughs> okay. How <laughs> to write the script for this and it make, it's making me laugh. <laughs> ding, ding. Anyone order a white savior narrative? <laughs> I read it exactly as it was written. <laughs> The film follows Mohamedou Old Salahi, uh, who's uh, Tahar Rahim's character, who is captured by the U.S. government and is languishing in Guantanamo Bay detention camp without charge or trial. Losing all hope, Salahi finds allies in defense attorney Nancy Hollander, which is Jodie Foster's character, and her associate Terry Duncan, played by Shailene Woodley. Together, they face countless obstacles in a desperate pursuit for justice. Their controversial advocacy, along with fabricated evidence uncovered uncovered by formidable military prosecutor uh, Colonel Stuart Couch, played by Benedict Cumberbatch, and he's doing an accent, (laughs) (laughs) eventually (laughs) reveals a shocking (laughs) and far-reaching conspiracy. Uh, And this was actually based off the 2015 memoir Guantanamo Diary by Salahi himself, so it's a true story. Hannah, what are your thoughts? <laughs> I've been really mean to this movie when actually I really like Taha Rahim and I like <laughs> Mahamadou. Mahamadou, we we were on like we we're on text, mate, because <laughs> I interviewed him for this big piece I did on the Guantanamo Bay on films. So even though I can very much say I love Taha Rahim's performance and I think he's amazing, um, uh, I it does it does irk me that this feels like a very white savior narrative in that as much as it does focus a lot on Tahar Rahim and Mohamedou's imprisonment. Um, and I think the way it's shot is, um, I think it's in a way respectful of the man, um, but also not shying away from the treatment that they received in there. I think some of the shot, some of the sequences are quite, um, yeah, quite tough to watch, but they don't languish in the kind of torture. I think sometimes, you know, something like The Report or other films or Camp X-Ray, we've seen, the torture inflicted and it, it feels like it dehumanizes them, dehumanizes the subjects. Um, so I appreciate that Kevin McDonald with this approach has actually tried to um, show uh, Mohamedou in a far more humanizing lights and show who he is as a person rather than just a prisoner. But it did, I suppose it did frustrate me that there's a kind of, it feels like it needs this entry point for like Western audiences to say, Hey, look, there's Jodie Foster and, Benedict come and even Benedict Cumberbatch it's like even the guys prosecuting him it's like let's make him a good guy and it's like I know they're not bad guys but it does feel like let's you know what I love about you know what you're my big thing about white white bureaucracy and the kind of evil inflicts I feel like it could have it could have shown um I suppose the darker side a bit more rather than trying to like make everyone a good guy like it feels like yeah it felt like there was too many it was trying to cater to too many different um, audiences and not really establishing like what the main problem was. It doesn't, I don't think it really goes as hard on the government for allowing this person to, to spend 14 years in jail without, you know, without, uh, um, 
transport somewhere without charge. Like, that's just insane. I remember, like, going through the whole film, and actually it wasn't until you see he's like oh yeah sorry spoiler alert but it's a real story so there aren't any spoilers but like he he finally kind of wins his case and then you realize oh he spends another seven years in jail after getting that and that's the point where I kind of like like cried because I just thought god this poor guy so I feel like oh you're trying to do a win and like yeah look at all these you know these white Americans who saved the day and look at that guy who, who was a bad guy but he's not a bad guy it's like yeah but where are the let's let's call bad guys bad guys there were a lot of bad guys that caused a lot of people to be jailed um for a long time and literally nearly wrecked their lives and I just felt like I wish I did I think he kind of both sides it a bit McDonald did this is interesting because I really thought that as well until I looked up with the the real Stuart Couch and you go Oh, okay. Well, he did actually do these things. <laughs> so it's hard. So I wonder, do you, do you find, do you think that the issue is focusing on that character in the first? Because I don't know how you, it feels like if you were being faithful to what happened, you would kind of characterize him like that. Because it seems like that's just what he did or who, like who he was. You know, you had like a Zachary Lev- Le- uh, Levy character he and you realize oh there is a bat and that's literally that's only a few it, it feels like barely any time is spent on that it's like where where are the let's show us the people who are actually caused this to happen like I feel like even in you know if you look at something like Road to Guantanamo which is the Michael Winterbottom one what I love about that is that obviously it's a docudrama so it has you know the testimonies from the Tipton three as it were um who were imprisoned and it's only their kind of like only really their perspective. And like you have like Riz Ahmed and stuff playing the characters and you see them, you see what they go through. There's never really a point where you see it from, you know, even though obviously they get out, like we're never really spending time with like the 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 people who got them out, right? So it feels mm-hmm. like this is very much a story I want to be focused. I don't feel like we need to focus on the people who like did their job. <laughs> like I'm, I don't think it's like a heroic thing for um, a guy to follow, like to actually realize, like, oh yeah, um, they're trying to cover up. They're trying to use illegal ways. That's literally your job. You're a lawyer. You're supposed to be doing that. So I feel like this kind of white knight presentation, as if like, oh, he, it was a tough thing for to do him to do, go against his country. It's like, yeah, dude, like, but you're supposed to be good. It shouldn't be like it, that's like bare minimum for me. I feel like you should do that. You should be not trying to force people to stay in jail. And the way it's set up, as if like. Oh, he wants to get back for his friend who died, who got killed by a certain attack, and he thinks it kind of felt like, oh, this is too much his narrative. Like, I don't need mm. Stuart Couch's story. I don't think it's integral to tell this story. And I felt like the balance was off. Like, I think you could have shown it without even having that. I feel like you could have shown it without having that character, but they wanted Kevin Bacon <laughs> in it. So, like, you know, Kevin Bacon with a few good men. They needed that. They needed like, you know, Tom Cruise and Demi Moore with like. Jodie Foster and Shailene Woodley and then they needed the Kevin Bacon character so it's yeah just yeah yeah so that's my that's my issue with it no it's just really I think like these kinds of movies are really interesting because it 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 brings up a conversation of like when you're choosing when you're choosing what parts of history to look at that in itself is a very conscious choice so it's like even though you know maybe these were fair characterizations of these individual people as you said it's like there's there's something behind the choice to make this film about these characters and yeah. from this angle. Amon, what did you think? Yeah, now I think this is one of those films where the performance is much better than the film that it's in. Yeah. Um, and Tahar Rahim is fantastic in this. 
um, just a very convincing, committed performance. And you really connect with that character for how he responds in the face of everything that he endures. Mm. Um, and I really, really felt that. I really felt that also in his connection with a fellow prisoner, um, which they uh, sort of returned to at multiple points. And that was very, very good to me. Outside of that, I just felt like this film just lacked in the propulsion it needed to really sort of uh, keep me interested, keep me as interested in everything else going on outside of Taharahim. And that was, a, and that's a shame. Like, um, Hannah, Hannah, you mentioned the report there, and that is a film that I thought about a lot watching this. I think that did it more effectively in the um, journey that Adam Driver's character goes on um, and how that plays out um, compared to this, where I just think it's a little flat, a little formulaic, a little we've seen it before and I can see sort of how you're going to connect the dots. And Probably because the report didn't give any time to uh, the victims at all in that mm. film other than showing them getting tortured. I think the report mm -hmm. was so wrapped up in... Adam Driver's white knight taking on the merit light, taking on the government and find finding the truth that it was it was totally it was totally uninterested in showing the prisoners. And this is what I'm saying. It's like you're the problem with Mauritanian in that you're tr you've got two competing like protagonists, really. You've got Muhammadu Taharahim, and then you've got the people on the outside, you know, and I suppose you could say the report works because it didn't give any time to to the prisoners, whereas, you know, this is trying to focus because it, I think in a way it's like, we need to get, um, you know, they've said, I remember speaking to the production designer of the Mauritanian, he's like said, mm -hmm. you know, Benedict Cumberbatch and Jodie Foster agreed to do the film because they wanted it, they wanted the story to be told, but they were like, please don't give me any more. <laughs> they were like, oh, please mm -hmm. don't give me any more like lines. It's like, well, you've got a fair bit anyway. So, you know, but it mm -hmm. feels like in order for these stories to get told, you need to have like a white savior in it to, I mean, you need to have a white savior just to even get these things made. It's frust It feels like a frustrating truth, but I think, yeah. Clarice, when you're looking up Stuart Crouch, did you look up what he sounds like? Because Benedict Cumberbatch is, he's, he's got an accent in this film and it's, it's an accent. <laughs> and I'm wondering how close that is to real life Stuart Crouch, because it definitely sticks out, <laughs> right. if Benedict, you know what I mean. Benedict Cumberbatch is a really great actor, but I, I think true. he struggles with American accents. A lot, a lot of English actors really struggle with American accents. Um, his Doctor Strange accent is very odd to me. It took um, a lot to get used to that. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what? What do you mean? I never don't even notice this. What's wrong with his strange accent? <laughs> oh, I find it... I find that his Doctor Strange accent is very obviously an English guy trying to be trying to be American and I'm not really from any place at all so I'm just being American. <laughs> I would like to watch that Doctor Strange movie with that accent. <laughs> Wait, what if he did Doctor Strange with his Crouch accent? That's is it named Crouch? Crouch? Um, that would be funny. Oh boy. Somebody is working on a YouTube video doing just that. Because you, <laughs> um, I don't hate the Mauritanian. I actually think it's like you said, Amon, like the 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 performances outweigh the story. I think it's good that it's been made, but I don't know. It feels like one of those things. It just, it's, I suppose I've just got like a, I, I, I have a knee jerk reaction. 
<laughs> to <laughs> things that I feel like when I can see something so obviously written in a way that it's trying to trying to appease um, investors and like trying to get to an audience to get this story out. And it's kind of, it's frustrating that it needs to do that to get this story told. I liked it for a very specific reason that I I think partially because like McDonald is not an American. He's very confrontational with the ideology that drove these actions, which I think is in America is still such a taboo subject of like really tackling the the mood post 9-11 and the fact mm. that these actions you know the justification in people's minds was like it was like this idea of you know we just need vengeance and that people were just so out for blood that all sense of justice just collapsed and mm -hmm. and I think that's a really important part of that history that needs to be tackled and examined to really if there's any hope that the U.S. is ever going to sort of <laughs> confront what it did, basically, mm. and and um, reckon with its actions, I think that's a really important part of it. So I think I I really appreciated seeing that. But you're 100 percent right. It is it is a film made for the white Americans who maybe have not really reached that point of reckoning mm -hmm. yet, mm -hmm. and it's trying to be like look like this is the thing it's it's like all of america is sort of culpable for what happened at guantanamo mm. bay because they were they were allowed to get away with this because of this this you know vengeful ideology that was driving it and and so yeah and so i like i like that it tackled that and there's a lot of sort of stuff with seeing the american flags flying over barbed wire like they're quite kind of powerful images um but yeah it's like it yeah, it's a hard thing with these because it, it is that thing of like you, they you know that they did that so that they could sell the movie, but then also I guess at least people are gonna watch it. <laughs> it's yeah, like, it's, yeah. it's like yeah, yeah for that. <laughs> <laughs> I would rather watch them watch the Mauritanian than the report because I think there is a big problem with the way Guantanamo Bay prisoners are presented, and in that film, like it's like ridiculously dehumanizing when you see people being tortured you separate you you can't empathize with them because it's it's you, you they're not human anymore like and so the i when they i remember watching the report in the cinema it's like curzon um soho and i i i like physically recoiled i had to cover my face because it was just so hard to watch um so yeah so yeah so i just watch this instead of the report if you can okay yeah. okay guys should we do our, our stream our stream and skip hannah i'm i'm gonna say stream because i think it's an important story being told and mohamedou is my boy um so stream on private video uk also tahar is my boy as well we were on deck. <laughs> <laughs> tahar and mohamedou are not my boys Oh. But I'm also, I'm still gonna say stream. <laughs> Amon, you're, still, you're still my boy. You're still oh, my you, boy. Hannah. You're part of the that boys. The collective world. boys. The boys stream on Prime Video <laughs> too. <laughs> Amazing. Good. Good. Um, yeah, I mean they're not my boys. I wish they were my boys. I you guys covered it, so I don't really talk about it, but Taharahim is like so good in this. Um mm -hmm. so I would say definitely stream stream and also watch unprofet if you have a chance to see that because that was his og oh my prison god film. 
Yes. <laughs> Wait, sorry. Sorry. <laughs> it's so good in it oh my god it's, that is on like i think that's on like bfi player and pretty much all the kind of um like movie um if you're interested in watching that also so have a raheem weekend weekday <laughs> or afternoon anytime david look they're wheels wheels look at the audio gbg what a wonderful day to be in the house of the Lord. If you're here with us for the first time, please stand. What a beautiful family. Glad you're here. Anyone for some Mountain Dew? That was a Minari reference, people. Um, uh, so yeah, uh, <laughs> Minari focuses on the Yi family who arrive in Arkansas from California, where they lived for a decade since immigrating from Korea. Uh, the dad, uh, Jacobs, played by Stephen Yun, he's moved his family uh, to California in the hopes of growing Korean fruits and vegetables on his own farm. But as tensions emerge and his mother-in-law, played by Yu Jung Yun, comes to stay, it's all about the family uh, trying to survive his attempt at the American dream. Clarice, what did you make of this one? <laughs> Okay, I just one thing I need to say is if I keep laughing at the word Arkansas, it's because I keep thinking of that. Have you seen that vine where that woman's pointing at the map of America and she says, like, make this make sense? And she goes, Kansas. <laughs> and then she points and she's like, Oh, Kansas. That's, I, I, I know the reason for that. It's because when it was like the state was like colonized one was like french and one was like i want to say english or something anyway look there were two different people so when they arkansas i think is like the french way of saying it and then it has Kansas. so it's actually because the colonizers because the bloody colonizers can't agree <laughs> but i think it's something to do with that i think if you google it it's something to do with like french i can't remember if it's arkansas or kansas they colonized but basically They'd be colonizing <laughs> and they'd be disruptions <laughs> in the state's language. But there we go. Uh, I digress. No, that was interesting because I just, I'm sorry. So I'm <laughs> sorry if I keep that. laughing when I say it. <laughs> <laughs> Minari. I love Minari so much. And I think the, the one thing that struck me that I think a lot of other reviews I, I saw maybe didn't talk about so much is that this film has such an interesting relationship with like the idea of American folklore and American, I mean, we're going back to <laughs> American ideas. It's the theme of this week's podcast. Um, mm -hmm. But, but the way that when the Yi family arrived to this farm, that they're, they're constantly like in this very complex communication with all these like sort of symbols of, of American folklore. Like I, I love the scene where, um Stephen Yun's character is there's the guy, the water diviner, who mm. keeps wanting to sell him the water diviner, which is that little stick that we have pokey stick. Without thinking of Russell Crowe. I know. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't watch that film, but now it's literally I will only think of Russell Crowe with that film. He, he's the he's the water diviner. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, but the fact that he rejects it and and he says, oh no, Koreans use their heads and they, they kind of figure it out through science. Um <laughs> but there's and just to see how his character how Jacob throughout the film is sort of both um 
wanting to reject these sort of like Americanism, these American flaws and the American ideas. And also a big part of that, you know, the American dream, the idea that he's going to come to this farm and build the Garden of Eden. So he's constantly rejecting it and embracing it. And I think like that's such an interesting and beautiful and complex and nuanced way to talk about like immigrant identity and mm. and how it is this sort of like like I could only talk about it from the experience of like a white person which I know is very different but <laughs> like even in my sort of very privileged like white immigrant experience of it I've spent my entire life with like this constant acceptance of and rejecting uh, like accepting and rejecting of of identities and I'm trying to figure out like oh who am I like who are you you're sort of like walking on a tightrope between these these two things and and I think just every single part of that film connects into it so beautifully and the performances connect into it so beautifully like I think Stephen Young does so much with this role Mm. And and he really carries the weight of responsibility on his shoulders. But there are these really small moments where he'll kind of relax a bit and smile. And it's just so like lovely <laughs> and just mm-hmm. makes my heart feel really full. And and that's what I love about it. it it's tackling something very complex in this this very loving and joyful manner connected to the fact that Lee Isaac Chung is, is very much talking about his own childhood. Mm. Everything you said is so right. I think, you know, Stephen Yun, in even though his character in a way is like sort of a villain in a sense of like he's putting himself and his priorities before. I mean, because there's so many, this is such a, a familial drama because it's not just about this family. It's about the dynamics between different relationships. It's about the relationship between um, Jacob and his wife it's about the dynamic between you know his son and his grandmother about his son uh, Jacob and his own son there's so many kind of like uh, conflicting kind of threads that we're supposed to kind of look into and I think it's it really is testament to Stephen Yun to be in this like lovable personality outside of it that he's able to kind of ensure that we don't hate <laughs> Jacob for <laughs> Uh, for his I suppose his selfishness and his his mm. his arrogance in a way there's a certain hubris um to his character and the way that he's like like you said he rejects it's interesting he's like it's like he's rejecting the assimilate he doesn't want to assimilate to this idea about what Americanism is he wants to say he wants to grow Korean vegetables and he's you know he doesn't he can do things with his head and in a way it kind of flips that idea that we have in that like when it comes to you know the east how it's this mystical, it's mystical kind of presentation, and actually the mystical mysticism is within the American, is is with the div, uh, water divination. So I thought that was, I, I like that kind of touch. I um, yeah, I just think it was so tender and so understated, but like sweeping and so large. It felt so there were so many big emotions that were so understated and subtle. Um, that it, it's hard not to get like to get swept up with it. Like you're so invested. Um, in these characters and you're kind of like on everyone's side I, I think you know there's I think um, Yuri Han who plays um, Jacob's wife her character name is uh, Monica 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 Yi. I think she is just I just love how she is this you know she's presented originally as this I suppose as like this hard-nosed mother who's like potentially complaining and at first you're kind of like, oh, why? You know, he's just trying to live his dream. But then you realize, no, actually, like, 
this isn't just his burden it's like this like it's her burden as well like she's on her own she's having to do a lot of things she's worrying about a number of things and you know you have in relationships it's more than just about the one it's a compromise it's it's thinking together I think she just Yuri just does it delivers it so beautifully and poignant in her like kind of in the way that she kind of speaks with Jacob when she's upset or you know when she's dealing with her children or even when her mother arrives in town and um yeah I just thought it was just really really beautiful it's a type of film that I could imagine if it was if you if they Kevin Cosner and Diane Lane would be like the lead characters in it's got that very like it feels like a such a fundamentally American story that actually by having this maybe it's been seen before like this kind of oh making itself the American dream but we've we've not seen it from this perspective from this Korean American's perspective and I just thought it was really really powerful yeah 100% fundamentally American is correct golden globes please take note um (laughs) (laughs) but yeah I think there's a fine line between building character and intimacy at a relaxed pace and a movie just being slow and boring Mm-hmm. And this is on the right side of that. And it's interesting, you know, you, you guys are both alluded to it. There's a lot of really big stuff this movie has. Um, and in another movie, they would be the focus of the movie. You think about the little boy having a heart murmur. I could see that being the focus of the movie. You think about the grandma being ill. I could see that being the focus of the movie. You think about how there's an element of racism in Arkansas and how do they feel about this Korean American family? That could be the focus of the movie. But the focus of the movie is in the relatable, everyday human stuff. And that is why I think it works. It's so warm, it's so human, it's so relatable. I absolutely love that. We have to talk about a big part of this whole movie, which is Emil Mosseri's score, which is fantastic. Um, I actually spoke to him at the top of the year uh, about the score uh, you can find that on Composer Magazine people and um, <laughs> okay also you can uh, read my Minari feature in the late, current issue of Empire <laughs> yes you can so it's all, um, nice um, to nobody in this. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah that score is just brilliant I've, I've listened to it uh, for the last few months and it's just so tender and gentle and just a perfect compliment to the story uh, so I love that too. And the performances, again, you both alluded to it, but uh, Stephen Yeun, Oscar nominated for a reason. Um, he's fantastic. I love the grandmother, grandson dynamic between Yu Yun Jung and Alan Kim. Uh, and Alan Kim, we should mention, he is having a good award season too, and I'm oh, very happy for him. Yeah. Uh, yeah, just like very polite, small child. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Love to see it. And it really succeeds in sort of sh- showing what it looks like when a father is trying to succeed at the expense of everything else in his life mm. and the toll that can take on everyone in his life. Mm. And that really sort of stuck with me and hit home too. So I completely love this one. I think it's one of the best films of the year, and I hope it gets... Uh, some awards in the next couple of weeks because it very much deserves it. I want to. Um, I wanted to add just off the bat because you mentioned it and you've just reminded me of something that I really enjoyed. What I really liked mm. about you mentioned racism in this film and what I think was really interesting. I know I just spoke about the Mauritanian and was like, you know, America calls this, but there's also like mm. a side of America that isn't racist. Not every person in America is racist, and I think what was really beautiful about the dynamic in this film is that the racism. Uh, was so 
small and uh, mm-hmm. contained. I won't give it away, but it felt like actually they were welcome within this community. You know, they there wasn't this kind of overt bigotry that you would you might have expected with this sort of mo- movie, especially a movie set in the South. Um, and I, and I really appreciated that. I appreciated that you know Will Patton's character is like a Korean War vet and. You know, again, I love the fact that it 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 didn't go the obvious route of making him this like, oh, he's been to Korea. He probably hates Korean people for because uh, because of the war. And it's like, no, he's come back. He's like, no, he loves Korean people. He can't get enough. Um, <laughs> interestingly, they had to, it's such a shame they had to cut down his role in the film because test audiences thought that he was going to kill the Yi family because he's a certain type. Of, <laughs> he's a certain type of warbet, guys. Um, but you know, I, I, that made me sad because I think he was such a wonderful addition. So I really appreciated that it could show, you know, this, the other side that actually not every, um, not every story about immigrants or people of color has to be so overtly wrapped up in racism. I appreciate Mm. And actually, Lee Isaac Chung said something interesting about this, that he wrote it specifically because he wanted to like, combat this sort of this weird the blaming in america that goes on where it's so oh it's just like you know poor white people they're the racist ones i think he did it very deliberately because he wanted to to confront the idea and 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 go well no actually there is you know with the working class white working class you know there is a an Mm. allyship there because well, it's, it's his it's... life he grew up there and well, exactly so, yeah <laughs> not trying to be true to the korean american community as he was the working class rural community that he grew up in i think like he said he said to me <laughs> sorry i feel like <laughs> <laughs> no, I, love it. I felt as much responsibility to the rural working class as i did as my community because he you know he has to go back you know he has to they know him, and so they'd probably be really fucking annoying. Mm. Like, uh, Why are you making eyes out like with his redneck? <laughs> okay. uh, interesting, uh, yeah, a little rebuttal to hillbilly elegy. <laughs> yeah, um, but yeah. no, I think it's I think it is important. Um, so yeah, you know what? Look at this film; we love it. So great. <laughs> yes, this is this is almost redundant, but let's do a quick stream and skip uh, a rating, Clarice stream and then i think they're putting this out in cinemas aren't they um when it when they're open <laughs> yeah stream yeah. and then go rewatch in the cinema and take all your loved ones and just have a wonderful time yeah stream definitely stream and if you can watch it with your grandma um do it because yes. it will just make you feel really lovely and want to hug her <laughs> yes uh do all of that, and if you do, make sure you bring tissues because you will feel it in the fields, mm-hmm. in all the fields. Yeah, and some Mountain Dew. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yes. Water of the mountains. <laughs> it's a it's a reference. You'll get it. You'll get it, guys. So just watch it. I understood that reference. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know how the people, the family, the Yi family. You know, it's so warm. They they get they get along. They're having a good time. <laughs> relatively some fights but you know who's really at it really going at each other it's uh godzilla and kong these are dangerous times godzilla's out there and he's hurting people and we don't know why there's something provoking him that we're not seeing here i'm of the same opinion the myths are real yeah. they're 
was the war. And they're the last ones standing. Leave my baby alone, my precious <laughs> chunky lizard boy. <laughs> I love him so much. Godzilla. <laughs> this is Godzilla versus Kong which I thought was the climax of the MonsterVerse because I thought they were done after this, but then I saw an interview and apparently not. <laughs> there might be more, but I don't understand where you go from there because they fought now, so we're done, presumably. But the plot of Godzilla versus Kong is that five years after that movie that no one remembers, <laughs> Godzilla King of the Monsters, <laughs> where Godzilla became King of the Monsters by fighting all the monsters except for one, Kong, uh, he reemerges <laughs> and and attacks a facility and monarch who are like the the I've forgotten what shield the shield of this universe are, are getting are getting worried they're getting worried about Godzilla what's Godzilla doing why does he keep fighting people this isn't good we thought he was a nice guy uh, <laughs> in the meantime uh, in the meantime. Uh, Alexander Skarsgård, he's a, a sad, reclusive scientist. He gets asked he's not, to... Wait a sec, sorry. He's a hot, sad, reclusive... <laughs> hot, sad. He's a hot, sad scientist. <laughs> gets asked to ask his friend, Rebecca Hall, if they can get Godzilla to lead them down to the, the core of the Earth for something to do with the power so source. Honestly, I wasn't paying attention. Just <laughs> tell me, my baby! Da -da 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 -da. Godzilla and Kong fight. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I will say this is this was directed by Adam Wingard, who is a horror director. Uh, he did Your Next and The Guest. Uh, so this is a bit of I guess this is his blockbuster breakout. But Amon, did you did you like yeah. the the big boys fighting? <laughs> <laughs> I did like the big boys fighting. It's interesting. You know, the Godzilla King of the Monsters is a movie I do remember watching and I did not have good memories of watching that movie because I think with these types of movies, the plot doesn't need to be sort of super good, but it cannot be distractingly bad. Like, you got to give me a semi-logical reason for why these fights are happening. And in Godzilla King of the Monsters, that movie has one of the worst twists. It's, it's to do with, uh, it's to do with um, the Farmiga's character. And I remember laughing out loud in the cinema when her whole um, sort of twist and why she's doing what she's doing is revealed. And I was not the only one laughing well, at it? her was in that, that moment. I can't, don't remember. It I was have like, no memory. You know, <laughs> it was like, I'm going to unleash all the monsters who are going to do all this destruction, which nearly kills me and my daughter many times over because the, you know, mankind has wasted the world oh, and yeah. these guys need to, like, yeah. Like, she's like Thanos, like, but like in a... Yeah, but, but stupider. We save the world like, because we're, we're destroying it by getting them to destroy the world. Yeah, but like she puts herself in the thick of all that and her and her, and her daughter nearly die however many times in releasing all these monsters. It's, the, it's one of the dumbest things. And because that was so distractingly bad and also because the way the film was shot, King of the Monsters, um, the, so many of the fights were dark and you couldn't sort of see anything, you couldn't get the full impact. I did not enjoy watching that movie. With Godzilla vs. Kong, this, the plot, as you know, Clarice recounted, is not exactly good, but at least it's not distractingly bad. And that helped me enjoy the monster fights, in addition to the monster fights being well choreographed and coherent and crowd-pleasing and cheer-worthy, especially in the final 20 minutes. 
However, I'm still sort of confounded by these films in that this film is called Godzilla vs. Kong. Transformers is called Transformers. Tom and Jerry is called Tom and Jerry. The, the clue is in the titles, people. These are not the supporting characters. These, this is your film. The film is not Humans Talk About Apex Predators. That's not the title of your film. The title of the film is Godzilla vs. Kong. Make Godzilla and Kong your main characters. Mm-hmm. It's simple. I don't get it. And the fact that these people, these guys, these films continually don't seem to get that and continually feel that they need to have these entry points that are these humans, it's frustrating. But again, if you're at least if you if you're gonna give me these humans, make me care about them. Give them something of value to do. Right now, across these three or four films that we've had in the MonsterVerse, that hasn't really happened. Like Brian Cranston is the character who I know Hannah for sure uh, cares about the most and who probably the audience as a whole cares about the most. And that guy's in it for 20 minutes and then he dies. My wife died here. <laughs> in this film, you know... Something the, the, kills the most... my wife. <laughs> I have the right to know. I deserve answers. <laughs> Brian, are you here? my fault. I'm sorry. <laughs> Look, I was either going to say in 10 minutes time or now. I just went for it. <laughs> no matter what, I was saying that line. <laughs> but yeah, no, in this film, Godzilla vs. Kong, I think you know, Brian Tyree Henry is probably the, human, the, is probably the guy with the best human award. And that's only because he's so charismatic to watch that you enjoy watching him, even when half the words come out of his mouth are pure nonsense. Um, so, you know, at least we have him. I did enjoy, I have to say, Kelly, Kelly Hottle as Gia, who's a, who's a small child who has a special connection with Kong through ASL, and I think they did a good job with that. But other than that, the human characters, again, left no impact on me. And they are a significant, they are the focus of a significant amount of the running time of these movies. Mm. If you're going to make that the case, you've got to do more with them and make me actually care about them and give them something, you know, engaging to do. And I just didn't find that. But mm. on the whole, um, the Godzilla versus Kong mashups... Uh, sort of compensated for all of the nonsense with the humans for me. So I did overall enjoy it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I am Team Kong. Literally fight me, Clarice. Oh, I will. Oh, I, my know, goodness. I am so I'm just team... gonna. I'm just going to get popcorn I and love let Kong. you guys go at it. I love him so much. <laughs> he's so precious. And, like, look, he's got a little friend. He's got a little friend he talks to. Him. And he does, oh, he's just so cute. Ah! I want to hug him. Um, and also, I just feel bad for him. The dude's just trying to, like, live his life. Like, live his life free on Kong. He just wanted to chill on Kong Skull Island. I know it's not called Kong Skull Island, but Skull Island. <laughs> he just wanted to chill. And then these bloody stupid humans are like, no, dude, you cannot do that. You need to help us. Um, I just, I mean, look, I kind of enjoyed it in a sense of, like, oh, this is kind of an amazing map, map, like, match up, you know, I've been, you know, jonesing for a big blockbuster kind of action-packed thing. And I think these characters are legendary. And actually, I will say, I think the computer graphics were just phenomenal, even though I was on my TV. Mm. My big TV, even, you know, obviously, it's the type of movie that I think I would have been far more invested in if I watched it on the big screen. But, you know, it just comes back down to, like, (laughs) what Amon says. I mean... The problem with this version is that you've got two competing human teams. It's not just one human team. You've got to go back to mm. two. So you've got, on the one hand, you've got Alexander Skarsgård, Rebecca Hall, and Kaylee Hotley, right? And then who? And it's interesting to me that like this is the second time we've seen like 
a female character who doesn't uh who has limited has limit she speak obviously she speaks through ASL but it's actually she's her speech is limited but it's to do with an ape like do you remember Dawn of the Planet of the Apes and that whole character is that she's mute yeah. all the way through I just thought kind of mm -hmm. that seems like a, a weird coincidence that the same sort of kind of thinking and then you've got on the other side of things you've got Brian Tyree Henry and then you've got Millie Bobby Brown and her best mate and you're just kind of like I can kind of understand the Kong side of things she's like she's you know Kaylee's character Jai is like the last of the tribe who's on the island so she has a connection with it and you know she, you know Rebecca Hall's like this anthropologists, linguistic or whatever, <laughs> whatever. They're scientists, right? There's a whole science element. So you kind of understand, okay, I get why they're in the mix. And then you're on the other side of things. You just think, wow, Kyle Chandler, you're a shit dad. <laughs> because how is it that your <laughs> child, Millie Bobby Brown, who's literally one minute, she's just like at high school and doing a class and she's like, oh, Godzilla's playing up again. I guess it's down to me to go sort things out and I'll end up in Hong Kong without dad knowing like how does that even happen and i'll bring my best mate along who's literally i mean the joke of it is it, it there's a joke of it in it where he's like oh like i studied like html at like camp and it's like yes they offer nothing to this story they offer nothing i mean brian tyree henry yeah he does because in a way he works for one of these companies like he, he he's got the inside track of it it just felt so unnecessary to have both of these competing teams when there's so much more we wanted to see from like the Kong and Godzilla story. So yeah, I think that was, yeah, I think I, I was, I was left, I was really just totally uninterested. I kind of like half tapped out whenever they were on screen. So I didn't really know what was going on when they were on. And I was just like, Oh, they're fighting again. Let me look. Yay. Kong. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I, I enjoyed the kind of like the, the greatness of it, the kind of blockbustery ofness of it. But I don't know if I think it was like a masterpiece. I mean, it's better than what I've seen before, but I still think Kong Skull Island is probably the best out of the recent monster verses. And, um, you know, we all know how I feel about Godzilla 2014 and how Brian Cranston should not have been killed. And I wonder if you're talking about the sequels, what if it is they bring him back to life, but it's his brain and they put him in like a, in like a, a, a mecha Kong. <laughs> And then it's just him versus Godzilla, but it's Mecha Kong versus Godzilla, and he just wants to find his wife. And it's like, where's my wife? But then Brian it's the brain of his wife in Mecha Godzilla, and then they live happily ever after in the Hollow Earth underneath. Aww. Have I just written this movie or what? I'd watch it. Watch it. <laughs> All I'll say is if that. If any semblance of that ends up happening, you better get at least 50%. Look, That's all, I'm all we know is that we've got some good listeners to our podcast. <laughs> yeah, I, I enjoyed it. Um, I think I really like the 2014 Godzilla because I think that film, like Gareth Edwards is very good, at least with treating his monsters with some sense of awe. And and so having, I know lots of people complain because it's like, oh, Godzilla's barely on screen in Godzilla. It's like, yeah, but when you see him, like, there's a genuine sense of of threat and majesty, and like, wow, holy shit, that lizard's really big, which you kind of lose over the subsequent. You get quite bored of the the you like you're like, I get it, it's a big lizard, but I think yeah. <laughs> in in that first film, it's like there's a mystique to him that has gradually been lost over the the sequels. 
And so what I liked about this is that it went, okay, so we can't really make them formidable anymore. So let's make them quite relatable characters. And so I loved that the film opens with Kong, like doing in his morning routine. He's getting up, yawning, scratching his ass, going for a shower. <laughs> and and so his character kind of seems like he's just like, like he's just some like put upon like middle-aged guy who's just trying <laughs> to get through the day. And then Godzilla, who's always just like turning up and and like he's got these little beady eyes and he's always like squinting his little beady eyes like I see you. <laughs> I see you God. He felt to me like he's like a really angry chihuahua. <laughs> and you know when a chihuahua, when it's about to start snapping. It does that thing. It's it squints his eyes and it goes. Godzilla is very. <laughs> let me live. <laughs> Energy. <laughs> like I'm just trying to just live, but you guys keep getting in my way. Just leave me alone. <laughs> yeah, I think Godzilla has more of like. I think King Kong is very like. Just please let me live. I think Godzilla's more like. Get the fuck out of my way. I think Kong wants like his best. That's why he's got. I think his connection with the little girl it's like he wants family he wants to have like That's that true. but i get the impression that godzilla is more like you know um he he's he's like in about a boy he's hugh grant <laughs> he's, yeah someone tweet someone tweeted about him being like the hot loner godzilla. but you know no godzilla's an island unless it's skull island <laughs> no, no hot mysterious loner Godzilla. <laughs> I um, actually think that they they in a way it was more of a Kong story than it was a Godzilla story. Absolutely. Oh, 100%. That's why Godzilla gave me more Chihuahua vibes because he wasn't really a fully developed character. He was like a dog level developed character. Well, I find I think I think you know what I've realized it's like every single I feel like every single scene of Godzilla is never from Godzilla's perspective. It's always a human's them responding to Godzilla like I would have just loved it if it was like oh Godzilla's just doing his own thing and then suddenly like something distracts him and he's like oh wait a sec what's that and it's like you get his perspective of mm. him like trying to if they'd have done that if it felt like it was actually from I think you got it was from Kong's perspective on the other side in a way a bit more you got more of his but you never, I don't think you really got that from Godzilla you never really got for like uh, of what's going on with him it was yeah. just like him reacting to human things rather than, and I think that's what probably is part of the problem. And it goes back to what my mom was saying, like there's too much, they, they're so focused on humans that they're not allowing people to, they're not trusting the audience to be satisfied to have these characters lead. Like we would, we're invested. We're totally invested in these characters. We would rather have like a non-verbal in like a non-verbal perspective on these two titans rather than have to listen to like cliched, mm. funny jokes where like between young characters who are like the you know flavor of the month, right? I don't know. I think like it. I think it would be very hard to do it fully from the perspective of Godzilla or Kong movie because like part of the their power as cultural icons is that they are like you know they are the monster they are the destructive force of the thing you're kind of scared of and then sometimes it's like the narrative is learning to understand like the motivations and i i think i wouldn't have minded like you know that's the thing i i like the first godzilla because i i don't mind the characters in that you know they at least feel fairly grounded like they're actual <laughs> humans and not like nonsense plot exposition stick but like puppets. but like i feel like if you had some i don't know if you read the jaws the book 
but what I like about it is that you get the perspective of the shark and it's not trying to, in a way it's not, it's, it, I, I don't, you don't obviously don't really get that as much in the film. It's obviously very human, but like, I think in the book, what I reformed was really interesting reading that after watching obviously the movie several times is like, it, it doesn't try to um, project human emotions onto a shark. Mm. It's like allowing it to be this like very, it can smell something. Okay. It can sense something movement. It waits. It's kind of like, in a way, if you are able to kind of like do that on the film where it's actually like, we're not going to project these human emotions onto this, this like lizard. Mm-hmm. If they can manage, <laughs> I think if they could do that, because also yeah. I think you'd be doing something that we haven't seen before, because isn't it like the Godzilla film is like the 36th outing film made about Godzilla. It's like, wouldn't it be, int- I mean, look, you know, it is what it is. We've made it, but if we want to do something different to what we've already seen, that might be kind of a, cool choice a more interesting choice yeah or i guess at least in terms of the because the japanese films are kind of from mm, some, i need to the watch them maybe one. i'm being very narrow-minded i but mean I... there's like a million of them um though i think my one issue with the the characters was that this the human characters is that they're so casually introduced that I was really confused when Alexander Skarsgård was was first on screen because they didn't really explain who he was and it made me think that I missed a film. Yes, yes, <laughs> yeah. I was yeah. like, is that because they keep referring to some other story that happened off screen? And I was like, is there another f- film? Is <laughs> it the we... brother you're talking about? Yeah, I was yeah. like, that. I was like did, yeah. did I did I look at my phone and t- look up? And I was like, oh, <laughs> yeah. and they just really they just kind of introduce everyone with the same casualness. So it's like Millie Bobby Brown, who we have seen before is is introduced the same way as Rebecca Hall who mm. is a new person I've never seen but you're not telling me who she is she just yeah. is mm. there <laughs> and is yeah. Kong's is the Kong whisperer and it's like when did this happen yeah <laughs> it's very confusing yeah. I will add I enjoyed that all the sets had neon trimming so it looked like they were at laser tag the whole time yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, really enjoyed that. I did enjoy that everything yeah. had a neon trimming there was no part of that mm-hmm. apex facility that did not have a neon trim mm-hmm. it's like all right sub <laughs> cyberpunk uh so we have talked a lot about the humans and rightfully so but when it actually comes down to godzilla kong and fighting this film is very very cool and when it hopefully gets re-released in imax once cinemas reopen I'm going to do everything I can to see it in IMAX because this is a film that is all about the big screen experience and what it can and should be about. And just the thought of seeing what goes down in this film on the biggest screen imaginable with the loudest audio imaginable makes me excited. Mm-hmm. Um, the what, what happens in the final sort of 20 is pro- probably predictable to a lot of people, but it's but it's still very, very satisfying. And mm. there are lots of cheers and whooping and fist pumping going on in my room. I can tell you that much. <laughs> I love it. Sure. like, yeah, it was um, me. I was, it was all of me. Fist pump. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, well, I cheered and I was on my own. Because <laughs> something happened that I really liked. So I went, yay. <laughs> I've just realized. So just, I feel like I'm opening up a can of worms again. But 
I just think there's a hollow, the hollow earth thing was something that kind of like threw me a bit because it, the way it was visualized, it made it look like there was like a sun and like there was an atmosphere, like the sun rising and sunset, which I thought, and I had to like Google, like, how does this even work? And obviously it's the energy source, whatever they're talking about. But I don't know if you guys have ever seen that movie Upside Down with Kirsten Dunst and Jim mm-hmm. Sturgis, right? There's, doesn't it, doesn't it remind you of that? Like, and there's a bit where he kind of like, he t- like, Kong like touches it and he's like oh yeah. and it reminded me of the scene where they touch hands because they're in different sides of the world and I was like did the did- <laughs> <laughs> oh, down um, I don't know I feel like if you've seen that movie and you're about to watch that just keep that in mind and let me know if you agree <laughs> no I get I get exactly what you mean and I have seen that movie so Amon you kind of alluded to it but what would you stream or skip it or I guess also like do we think it's going to be re-released in cinemas and would we recommend people to wait I think it's going to be released in cinemas and I would recommend people wait if they can um because you know I've lamented about it in weeks prior but watching this film for the first time on the 30 inch computer screen or even a 50 inch tv screen is just not the one Mm -hmm. this is a film you want to watch on the biggest screen possible with the biggest audio possible and I do think Warner Brothers are cognizant of that. And when cinemas reopen, hopefully in a couple of months, they will do everything they can to re-release it. Because I think they and the filmmakers want people to experience the film in that way as well. If you can't wait, I'd say this film is worth streaming. But if not, but if you can, I'd say wait till the screen is available to you. Yeah. I'm going to say screen because you you need a, a, a Now account to watch it. Isn't it a Sky Pro Cinema? So Sky Scun Sky Cinema, and I think it's going to be there yeah. for, and it's got they've got a deal there, so I think it's going to be there for ages. So you know, mm. I would I would I would say if you want to wait, watch on the big screen. If that's not logistical because of family, whatever like that, you know, watch it. But yeah, I'd say watch this film screen scream, but don't skip. Yeah, yeah, I would agree that like obviously if you you don't or can't get to the cinema um, at any point soon um, when they open. I think it's yeah. I think it's worth watching it. I probably find someone else to watch it with, <laughs> even if you're like <laughs> on Zoom or something. I think watching yeah. it on my own felt weird. <laughs> so if you can get yeah. get a friend on the phone or something and and watch it together, I would recommend. And yeah, and if you do want to see it on the big screen, and would be happy waiting, I'd say just wait because it probably will mm. be. So we wrapped up our our review bit. And now it is time for politics. <laughs> Sorry, I stole your bit. Ah, Godzilla's atomic breath. Both my finger. <laughs> the dust has barely settled on the release of Justice League, the Snyder Cut. Or is it Zack Snyder's The Justice League, whatever title <laughs> you want to call it. But DC Films is already putting the kibosh on two highly anticipated titles in its extended universe, Ava DuVernay's New Gods and James Wan's Aquaman spin-off, The Trench, which was the de- the bit that was deep in Aquaman. Right? <laughs> <laughs> when they went and it was, it was deep, it was, they went down. <laughs> they pressed down on the elevator. Oh, they went to the, the down bit of the ocean. They were in the deep, some 41. <laughs> they were off the deep end. Oh boy. <laughs> so they have both been shelved indefinitely because apparently Warner Brothers didn't see how the films would fit into their planned interconnected slate 
slash they don't have an interconnected slate mm-hmm. they have no idea what they're doing there's also the issue of dark side the planned new gods villain who was put back into justice league by snack 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 snyder snack snyder um zach snyder i'm sorry huh <laughs> could this mean that the Snyderverse is being restored are the hashtags getting what they want <laughs> Hannah what's your take what is going on at DC Films like it just feels like it's an utter mess it's just frustrating really because I feel like DC gets such a bad rap the DC heroes get such a bad rap as in the extended universe when there's so many exciting stories to be told and it's frustrating that the actual kind of the interesting ones that haven't been put on screen yet haven't been explored with filmmakers that we haven't really seen yet it see it just seems frustrating that we're not um we're not getting to see their vision but we're still literally got this collateral baggage that comes with the Snyderverse where like because of now we've had this bloody four hour film suddenly suddenly now it's kind of stopped um the future of every other now we've got this creative vision that seems to be like oh this is the only vision we 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 care about i just think there needs to be some better kind of decisions in their leadership to to kind of sort it out and just decide what they want to do because it just seems so such a shame that we're like you know the Batman that got green light. So how many more Batman films do we actually need? It's so like, I don't like, don't get me wrong. I'm interested in seeing this Batman movie. I think with Robert Pattinson as Batman, it's going to be good. I don't have anything against the Batman. I just have something against just, just the lack of um, exploration and diversity within this whole kind of franchise. And I just, I just don't understand why you would just say no to new gods because bloody dark sea, like we can't, like uh, the audience can possibly comprehend a dark side that exists within the Snyderverse, but also exists as a new, as a totally new hero. Like we had, we had two competing Quicksilves in the MCU and it didn't cause an issue. Like what, I just, uh, can you tell that? I just don't really have, <laughs> my brain cannot handle the <laughs> hyping that are going on within DC films. And I just think they're just doing a disservice to the franchise. Um, so yeah, so I'm, I- I'm upset. Frustrating is the word. For so many reasons, um, you know, Hannah, I know that you're a fan as well, but like the Justice League animated series, when I tell you that that is like, people look at me crazy for, for saying this, but I fully stand by it. And I'm sure if they watched it, they would say the same thing. But there are certain episodes of that show that I would put right next to the best of the MCU for the best st- superhero storytelling in the genre in any medium. It's that good. And the blueprint is right there. And the DC Extended Universe is not doing anything with it. And it's annoying when I see what, what are meant to be versions of characters, which I love, um, portrayed in a way which I don't think is correct. Um, so that's frustrating on, the, on, on, on one level. The MCU can announce a Howard the Duck movie tomorrow, and I will be excited because they have a plan, because everything connects with, with one another. Even the most ridiculous concepts like an Ant-Man film because it connects with everything else, I'm excited to see the movie to see how it reflects with the rest of the MCU. Because the DC films are in such a mess, I can't fully give my excitement over to what should be exciting announcements. Like, they got like a Static Shock movie supposedly in the works. 
that is a film, if the DC universe was, you know, making sense and, and knew what they were doing, the hype that, they, that I would have for that film would be immense. But right now I'm like, okay, Static Shock, potentially interesting. I, I'm, in, I'm intrigued to see what they do, but I don't know exactly how it's going to thread into everything because it's such a mess right now because they abandoned, they half abandoned the Snyderverse um, uh, universe while still trying to keep what worked because Wonder Woman worked. So they kept that. Aquaman sort of worked. So they kind of kept that. Shazam sort of worked. So they kind of kept that. And these movies are getting sequels. Like you're saying MCU works because it got an interconnected state. Yeah. Yeah. But why but, did the, why does every single thing have to follow that? Why can't they just exist? Films can exist with characters with like we've got the Batman and the Suicide Squad, and that's like they're existing in different universes to the Snyderverse, and it just feels so ridiculous that they keep trying to do trying to make everything fit, and it's like they're not it's not a puzzle that needs to connect. Let them exist in their own separate universes. And I would agree with you if that is what if if that is the mentality they started with from the beginning, but because it's not because they started with the Man of Steel, the Wonder Woman's, the Justice Leagues, the Suicide Squads where everything was meant to be connected, and because they now half abandoned that vision, what you've got is a mess. You've got people asking questions about the Suicide Squad, wondering whether it's a sequel, wondering how much of the other film they're keeping for, uh, for, for, for this film, wondering about the titles, because everything is such a mess. And now to come to what we're discussing today in terms of Ava DuVernay's New Gods, the thing that frustrates me most about this is because... I was really happy when Ava DuVernay got the gig, not only because I'm such a fan, but because she was coming off of Wrinkle in Time, which is not a film which was well-received by everybody. But in spite of that, she was coming off of that to a $100 million film headed by a black filmmaker, a black woman filmmaker. That doesn't happen often at all. And that was significant to me. And one thing which I will say about the DC films, as much as I sort of know, don't like them um, as much as I do the MCU films. They do have their own directorial vision, you know, all the way through, which is not something you could always say about the MCU film. But Zack Snyder's Man of Steel is very much Zack Snyder's Man of Steel. Um, uh, Patty Jenkins' Wonder Woman films are very much Patty Jenkins' Wonder Woman films. And I, again, I'm a big fan of Ava DuVernay as a person, as a, and as a filmmaker. I was excited to see her $100 million vision of what this you know, new God's universe would look like. And it's a shame to me that now we're no longer getting it um, because, you know, DC is just, the extended universe is in such a mess right now. Depending on what happens with Flashpoint and where they go with that, because Flashpoint, if you know the comics, is meant to reset everything to a point. And if they played their cards right with that, um, that could really help the universe out in terms of keeping what they want to keep and shelving what they want to shelve. But right now, when I just look at all the projects DC you know, potentially currently has on the boil um, and, you know, what and, and, and decisions like this, it just tells me that, again, you know, we mentioned it on the previous pod, but they are desperately in need of a Kevin Feige-like figure. And it's a shame that, you know, we, that now filmmakers like Ava DuVernay, like James Wan, uh, are suffering for it. Yeah, it just feels like the optics of this are bad. Mm. <laughs> because... You know, if we're looking at the projects that they have put faith in, it's like, right, well, we gave 70 million to Zack Snyder to finish this movie, two suicide squads, and we gave it to James Gunn, and we're just making a new suicide squad, whatever. Everyone's mm -hmm. confused, yeah. but we're just going to do it anyways. 
Matt Reeves doing Batman. And then and then yeah, and then you look at James Wan, they said Aquaman was super popular, but they're going, No, thank you. Don't want your your movie where you go down down the ocean elevator. Like a horror. Wouldn't that be so cool? <laughs> it did sound yeah. cool. And and yeah, and Ava DuVernay, Kathy Ann gets fuck all now <laughs> um you know it's and this is the thing i i'm sure there are reason and and it's complex but i do sometimes think when studios announce these things like somebody needs to be there to be like hey this doesn't look good <laughs> yeah you know there needs to be like an optics person who who comes in and just says hey maybe don't announce it all at the same time like two weeks after the Snyder Cut mm. came out because it's gonna look bad guys mm. <laughs> um yeah. and you know maybe keep quiet and develop some more stuff give James Wan and Ava DuVernay different projects to work on I mean she's working on Naomi see Naomi so she's still yeah. doing that and then obviously James Wan is still doing At Command too it's the fact that they're unwilling to explore new avenues because they're so like hanging like hanging on to this like this I just think they need to just draw a line in the sand on all of the stuff that they've done before and just allow these new films coming out like allow the Batman allow the Suicide Squad even like Birds of Prey I include on in this and allow them to exist within their like now this is a new continuity allow Mm. that to be a new continuity We've done, if you're saying that you're not going to restore the Snyderverse, which I totally agree because mm-hmm. that just seems an insane thing to do. Like, like people just want to re like re rewrite history as if these were not well received film, like greatly received films at all. It's like he was already pretty much kind of on his way out. They were obviously planning, but they had to do Batman v Superman and Justice League. They were kind of shooting at the same, do you know what I mean? They were running, so they couldn't exactly get rid of him. But it just feels like, let right, you've done that. That's done move on that is over it's cancelled it's done not cancelled but we've we're over it let's move on and like you know new gods what i feel so weird about this it's like even with dark side in snyderverse who's still kind of barely in it you could have Mm. set up a whole new continuity like how many times have we redone spider-man for them to like it's like the idea that we have to like with batman there's been how many batmans you're telling me that you couldn't carried on with new gods and just establish a new continuity because actually that's what franchises do every few years because they want to keep on to the to the copyright so they can keep making them they reboot it with a new person like that's just established so this idea that they're trying to maintain this interconnected apps it's like you're it's a mess it's a mess of yarn yeah so it's like the general audiences i think are, are not registering on any kind of they really don't care that much that it's dark side and if he turned up again the general audience like are not going to be up in arms they'll just be like oh was that the guy we saw already Meh, never mind move on <laughs> yeah yeah no on, on the general audience i agree but there's a large portion of people coming to see these movies who are not the general audience who are fans of the comics and who know the source material in a really good way and they are and those, those can be the primary people commenting on the trailers driving the comment on the film yeah, and they're, going not, to they're, 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 they're the minority 
people mm. like you seem to think like the fans of these franchises are the are like the comic book fans are the minority compared to the actual general audience like just because they're the loudest voices does not mean that they should be heard like we all have our feelings and all that kind of what we want from a franchise but actually again let's just let the creators do what they need to do with it I just find this I just don't I I I reject this idea that as 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 a Marvel fan, I should be or whatever should be dictating the creative direction. You know, I can either like it or I don't like it. That's my choice. But I'm not here to tell filmmakers how to make an adaptation. It's like me saying, I don't know. It just feels, you know, I mean, yeah. I you know, I, I, the Harry Potter films. Like, I'm not going to tell people how to do it, even though I think that they're trash compared to the actual books. But also, we can't really, you know, we all know the trash. There's trashness associated with that whole franchise now in more ways than one. Um, so I, I feel like bad for mentioning it. But you know what I mean? It just feels like I, I'm, I'm kind of sick of this. I, you know, I, I think there is a toxicity and I think there's a, there's a new precedent being established with this, which I worry about that because of like seemingly because of the, the Snyder fandom, Snyderverse fandom deciding, you know, campaigning so hard that suddenly now any choice is going to be by committee and by committee I mean a minority of fans who are deciding what way to go or we're going to review bomb other Warner Brothers products or whatever because actually we've seen that already happen Mm -hmm. they've already tried to review bomb Godzilla versus Kong Godzilla so yeah I know. Leave my children. Yeah. Leave my babies alone. <laughs> this is the thing. I could go outside right now. Yeah. I mean, COVID restrictions, but <laughs> and do a, a street poll mm-hmm. of people. Go say, hey, do you know who Dark Side is? It would be like eighty percent of people would be like, "What the fuck are you like talking 80s? about?" I love them in the eighties. I love my band. <laughs> exactly, and I think I think that's the thing that we always everyone needs to remember. Like all film fans need to remember is that like you are a minority <laughs> we're yeah. all like a minority in this and it's mm-hmm. you know it's true for everybody it's true for people who love like the criteria collection like you can't if you went up to a random person in the street and said hey how many criterions do you own they'd probably say zero <laughs> and I know, and i yeah. think yeah. it's just yeah i think it's just that thing of remembering that like these are just the these are just movies making money <laughs> for, yeah for everybody. Hey, at least we have black adam <laughs> Now, I, I broadly agree with all that. But yeah, again, I think my main point is just that they've confused the audience so much now because some of the films, they are saying are standalone. Some of them, they are saying are going to be interconnected. Some of them are saying they're going to be interconnected to a whole other thing. Like the Batman has got a new sort of you know, HBO Max show coming about the GCPD, which is connected to the Robert Pattinson Batman, but not the Ben Affleck Batman. And then, and then in the Flashpoint movie, um, you know they're gonna have the Batfleck Batman, the Michael Patterson Batman, and the Michael Keaton Batman supposedly in the film. They they just confused the audience so much now because they are trying to still keep what worked in the Snyderverse um, while still doing all these other things. Um, and I think that more than anything is why we're now in the state we're in in terms of things like Ava DuVernay's New Gods and James Wan's Aquaman being cancelled. And that's just a shame. Um, as I say, I think Flashpoint might be a solution in some respects because that comic and that uh, you know, storyline resets everything and um, takes all these disparate threads and different universes and makes them one. And if they do something similar in the film world, then that could be the reset that... You know, makes a new continuity and then they can begin again from there. But 
that's a, that's a really tricky thing to do, especially, you know, the DCEU started in 2013. We're at 2021. We're now already sort of starting to think like this. This is like, you know, when, when they did Flashpoint in the comments, that was like a pull the ripcord type thing. The fact that we're already discuss discussing this eight years into the DCEU is concerning. Um, but, you know, given where we currently are, might be the way to go for them. They've given us too much information about what's going on in these films for us to dissect. That's what I think is so mm. frustrating. It's like, just keep it to yourself. Like, just do what you need to do. Stop trying. Like, I get it's this teasing stuff, but I don't need to know all this stuff. I don't need to know, like, like oh, this needs to fit in with this continuity and all this bullshit. Like, just give me a movie. Just, just make movies. Like, just make the job. movie. Like, you know, <laughs> everything you just said there, right? The flashpoint paradox, fine. It could reset the continuity. Okay, that, that surely that's the easiest way to do it. And you can still make new gods and you can still make the trench because actually there are some bits of the continuity that you can keep and some bits that you can decide that you want to get rid of, right? That's the whole the beauty of doing a flashpoint thing. Mm -hmm. But also they've established this multi-world theories. Like there are different universes. Like, you know, this is, you know, they did it with the, the TV series, the Arrowverse, you know, we've seen different, um, mm -hmm. like super, Superman coming through, or we've seen different versions. We saw even the Flash meet the Flash when Ezra Miller met, you know, Grant Gustin's Flash. Like you've already established this. So mm -hmm. it makes no sense that you need to keep on banging on about this continuity when actually you can just say, oh no, this exists on this earth. The Batman exists on this earth. <laughs> whatever like mm -hmm. it's just it's just not that deep <laughs> it doesn't have to be that deep it just needs to be a film about the deep called the trench bring it back out <laughs> just have like anytime anything happens just have ben affleck turn to the camera and go it's the multiverse <laughs> <laughs> um okay so we've got uh shall i read a couple of comments from our from our pals on the internet <laughs> Oh, yeah. <laughs> um we've got one from from charlie brigden i i think it sucks that they've done it especially with poc directors and one of ava duvernay's stature and talent to tell the truth i didn't really think new gods was ever actually going to get made but this whole thing still sucks yeah it does. do you think it was i i really haven't kept up with the what's been in development so i i i don't know i was kind of surprised at it because they announced it a long time ago 2018 mm. yeah yeah. I, I still I thought it was getting made because I who there was like so many we so many casting rumors was there was it Gina what's Gina the name Torres of the girl? Big Barda. Torres says Big Barda. That was what everyone was talking about. But yeah, alas, be a good casting. Alas, and Charlie Ashby says I'm mad with the multiverse idea. WB practically have the opportunity to have their cake and eat it too. Want to continue the DCU and do an old Batman movie? Sure. Yeah, they can't imagine that people can accept two different versions of Darkseid. It's lame. Yeah. So I think I'm kind of in agreement yeah. with us. Dark Seed, Darkseid, you can handle it. <laughs> <laughs> He's just big thumb man. Big thumb guy. Oh, boy. Well, that was it for this week. Thanks for tuning in and enjoy another week of viewing via whatever medium is the safest for you. Do leave us a review if you love the podcast and tweet us if you have something you'd love for us to shout out next week. Or if you have like pictures of pets, I'd like to see those. <laughs> Use the hashtag, hashtag fade to black pod and follow us. Uh, I'm at Clarice Lou. I'm at Amon Woman. And I'm at Hannah Flint. Now it's time to fade to black. Doo -doo 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 -doo.